Africans. I'm Erica, an editor at Hood Communist. I want to welcome you to Hood Communist Political Education. Twice a month, editors of the blog get together on our Telegram channel and hold discussions based on articles we've published or current events with our readers and subscribers. Because Hood Communist encourages mass organizing and political education, we've decided to share these recorded sessions with you and anybody trying to listen. So thanks for tuning in. I hope you enjoy it, and I hope you learn something. And I hope that what you learn encourages you to join an organization fighting for the liberation of our people. With all that said, let's get into it. Greetings, greetings, African family, and greetings, uh, friends of Africa and African liberation. And welcome to this bi-monthly session for Hood Communists. Today, we're going to talk about Ethiopia, the events in the Horn of Africa. And before we get started, just want to give the Hood Communist editorial team the opportunity to introduce themselves. Peace, Africans. I'm Erica or Ricky. I am a member of the Black Alliance for Peace and Eugenia People's Progress Party and co-editor of Hood Communist. Greetings. This is Onya Sanwu. I'm an organizer with the All African People's Revolutionary Union and the All African People's Revolutionary Party, the Ben Simmons Brigade, and I'm an editor with the Communists. Peace, everybody. It's Alifu, a member of the African People's Revolutionary Party, Black Alliance for Peace, and the Low Country Action Committee. And greetings again, Ajamu Umi, All African People's Revolutionary Party, Hood Communist Editor. And sincerely want to thank you all for joining us today. And just we'll just jump right into it because we want to leave as much time as possible for discussion. And so someone told me, an elder who's no longer with us now, told me years ago that the best way to get people to have an interest in what's going on in Africa is to figure out a way to connect it, whatever it is that's going on, to people's everyday lives. And I would guess, I could be wrong, but I don't think so. I would guess that probably most of us, if not all of us here, don't live in Ethiopia, may not have been there and you know don't may not probably don't know a whole lot about what's happening in ethiopia and that's okay you know that's exactly the reason why we talk about these types of subjects and what that elder told me i figured out pretty quickly it's not at all hard to make those ties for folks and it's not hard because whether we know it or not whether we like it or not whether we want to admit it or not the interests of African people all over the world are connected in every way um, necessary, every way possible. So it's not hard to make those connections. So I say that and I'll jump into it like this, um, just starting specifically from some of the important historical aspects of Ethiopia, because Ethiopia is one of the most critical geographical areas in the history of human civilization, right? Um, the religions of Christianity and Judaism have specific ties um, in that region of the world, the Horn of Africa. In fact, it's not an overstatement to say that each of those forms of spiritual worship 
would not exist the way we know them if it were not for the contributions made to those uh, forms of worship uh, through Africa, through the Horn of Africa. In fact, the first country mentioned in any uh, format of the Bible is Ethiopia, or if you have an older version, Old Testament, it's Cush with a C or K, which you know is the ancient name of Ethiopia. And of course, Europe is not mentioned in the Bible until the last book, the book of Revelations. So we know that clearly Ethiopia had a critical role in history. And it's from that premise that we look at where Ethiopia is today in 2022 and beyond. And it's just important to put it in that context, I believe, because the way that we are conditioned to see the world is through a scarcity lens. There's not enough of what we need. There's not enough resources for us to have what we need to survive. So therefore I have to see you as somebody I'm in competition with to live, survive and prosper. And what I'm here to say today is that that analysis is bankrupt, it's, it's corrupt and it's 100% not true. The problem that exists in Ethiopia and in Africa and all over the world is that there are plenty of resources to meet pretty much any need that you can think of that humans have on the planet Earth. The issue is 500 years of a colonial system and the institutionalization of that colonial system has created a reality where the masses of our people, no matter where we live on Earth, have access to very few resources. And that's the reason why we say institutionalization is because although the system was created centuries ago, the mechanisms that run that system and continue to perpetuate the uh, actions of that system still exist just as strong today as they did in the 1500s. So the wealth of Africa, all over Africa, the horn included, is siphoned out of the continent and it's stolen and provided for multinational corporations all over the world. And the people in the horn get very little access to much of anything, just like is the case throughout the entire African world. And so consequently, based on our individual experiences, it looks to us like there isn't enough to go around. So we begin to see the world through that lens. And just to give you an example of that, the primary contradiction in Ethiopia today is that there are many sides who are engaged in armed struggle against one another. And one of the best ways to look at that is going back to the death of Haile Selassie. And Haile Selassie is, was of course the emperor you know, Ethiopia was a monarchy. There are three forms of government in the world today, right? There's monarchy or kingdom, kingdoms. There, there's uh, elections or, or societies where elections determine who's in office. And then there are military regimes. And, you know, some form of all three of those exists all over the world today. And Ethiopia was a monarchy until 1974 when Emperor Haile Selassie died. And of course, most of you probably know this, Haile Selassie is, you know, considered an iconic person um, by those who practice Rastafarianism, largely because of what I mentioned in the beginning, the strong historical and spiritual contributions of the Oromo people in Ethiopia, the Coptic church, to the development of 
some of the most original spiritual ideas on the planet Earth. But with the death of Selassie in 1974, a coalition of people took power in Ethiopia called the Dirge. And initially, these people uh, called themselves socialists. And as Kwame Ture taught us, we can't evaluate something just based on what people call it. We have to understand the criteria which qualifies something to be something. And so because a lot of us made that mistake, even socialist Cuba, who 99.9% .9 is correct, made that error at that time, hindsight's 2020, and looked at the dirge because they said they were socialists as a socialist entity and began to provide aid to the dirge's efforts to uh, sustain its control over Ethiopia. Well, this began to, uh, in the mid to late 70s, as Mangistu Her Kali Her Mariam became the chairman of the dirge, began to not be a sustainable system to satisfy his urges to completely dominate the country and its resources. So by the late 70s, Mengistu had abandoned the title of socialism. And because of the problems the Soviet Union was having, of course, you know, they would only actually exist a, a few short years after that. They were not able to provide the resources that Mengistu wanted. So he abandoned that title and began to appeal to the Western capitalist countries. And that relationship blossomed for multiple reasons. One, because there was, there was a, a challenge for Zionist Israel in that the Eritrean independence movement, Eritrea at that time was a portion of Ethiopia. And the Eritreans wanted to succeed and form their own country, Ethiopia, or I'm sorry, Eritrea. And so one of the things the Eritreans did is have a strong alliance with the Palestinian movement which of course you know is the movement that's fighting to regain their stolen land, which was stolen by the so-called Ashkenazi Jews, who we call Zionists, who control the state of Israel today. And so because of this, every area in Ethiopia that the Eritreans had military control over against the Ethiopian government, they allowed Palestinian fighters to train there and use as a staging area to wage their attacks against the Zionist uh, empire. And because of that, Zionist Israel was completely opposed to, you know, Eritrea, the Eritrean movement. And so they aligned themselves with the Ethiopian government, which was opposed to the Eritrean movement because they were moving to succeed from Ethiopia. And so this, this process developed uh, the reality where Zionist Israel began to provide Ethiopia with massive arms, training and equipment to allow them to engage in whatever atrocities they wanted it to do against the Eritrean movement within Ethiopia. And since the, the United Snakes of America is the chief prostitute for Zionist Israel, they began to back that same effort. And as a result of that, began to intensify the aid that was being directed uh, into Ethiopia to serve as this police officer role for imperialism in the Horn of Africa. And then also there's the, you know, the situation of Somalia attempting to engage in their self-determination, which is an entirely different topic that we should certainly talk about as well. But because of that, 
um, Ethiopia, you know, began to be this stooge in the horn for imperialism. And consequently, um, that, you know, that, that this aid intensified and that's the role that they played. Now, Eritrea was not the only area of Ethiopia that sought independence. Again, we have to understand the scarcity that exists because of colonialism. So people feel like we're not getting what we need. And so we need to create our own government and that'll present a way for us to get what we need for our people. So Tigray is another region in Ethiopia. Romo is a third region in Ethiopia that want independence. And so in the mid seventies, the Tigray People's Liberation Front, um, just like before them, the Eritrean People's Liberation Front formed and began to push for independence from Ethiopia. And now since that time, you know, of course the dirge is no longer in power, but what's happened in recent years is that the Tigray region, which is in Northern Ethiopia still at this point in time in history, is in attempting to intensify its efforts to gain complete independence from Ethiopia. And so one of the things that happened last year is that Tigray, the Tigray region was really pushing for a referendum and you know referendum is where everybody comes and makes a decision about you know an issue like independence and they really wanted to push this question of independence in Ethiopia and the prime minister of Ethiopia uh, Abiy Ahmed had agreed that there would be a there would be this referendum election in August of 2020 but as the date approached uh, because of the pandemic uh, the elections were postponed without a, you know, without a, well, we'll have them then, or we'll look at having them then, or anything, just postponed with nothing else. And so this was unacceptable to the people of Tigray or the Tigray People's Liberation Front. And so they held their own elections just in that region. And they, according to them, had close to 90% of, of the people turn out and vote for independence. And so this effort intensified the war effort on behalf of the Tigray People's Liberation Front to wage military action against the government of the Ethiopia. And the government of Ethiopia responded with brutal military action. So what we know from that is that the Ethiopian government has without question committed unquestionable atrocities against the people in Tigray. And they didn't just start doing this in the last couple of years. There's the Red Terror Campaign, the Red Terror Campaign, in the 70s under the dirt where approximately 15 to 20 million people in that region of ethiopia were either killed or disappeared in an effort to squash that independence movement back in that day and so this has been ongoing and the tensions have just overflowed and so now you have that happening and and the ethiopian government is also engaging in a, atrocities against the oromo people in that region of Ethiopia. Now, because of these developments, the imperialist world has been forced to kind of uh, take a step back from their relationship with Ethiopia, at least to give the appearance that they're doing that. And so they have come out in the last several months criticizing the Ethiopian government and actually in some ways coming out in support of the Tigray People's Liberation Front. And you can speculate why they would do that. My guess would be that they see the handwriting on the wall and they see that at some point 
um, the Ethiopian government will probably be toppled. And so they're trying to get out in front of that and ensure that they, as they always do, place themselves in an opportunistic position where they can, you know, have relationships with the people who are going to be in power in an effort, as they always do, to shape what happens there. And then the other side of that equation is that the, uh, you know, the Tigray People's Liberation Front has been accused from people in many orders of committing atrocities throughout the, the northern region of Ethiopia. You know, whether you decide to believe any of that or not, the point is that Africa has the resources to meet everyone's need. And so this scarcity uh, model that's dominant throughout all of Africa because of neocolonialism, where the people who are in positions of power throughout Africa serve the interests of imperialism, not the interests of the people, um, creates this political reality, whether it's in Morocco and the Western Sahara, whether it was going back to the 60s with Nigeria and Biafra, whether it's um, in the Liberian civil war of the 90s, whether it's Sudan and South Sudan, whether it's the Horn in Ethiopia with first the Eritreans and then now the people of Tigray, um, this is a problem. Whether it's the Congo in Katanga and then Kinshasa during the days of the National Congolese Movement and Patrice Lumumba, this has been a serious challenge in Africa. So that's why from our perspective, the solution again is revolutionary Pan-Africanism because that is the mechanism that can drive out the neo-colonialists. Once we are able to unify and get organized, we can drive out the neo-colonialists. And then once the people begin to take, to be in a position to govern the resources in Africa, we will find out overnight that these things that we've been fighting and dying over, we have more than enough to serve our interests. So at that point, I'll stop and ask my um, comrade editors if they have insight they want to add. And then after we do that, we can open it up for discussion from everyone. Yeah, I just wanted to um, just state that I do appreciate you giving um, a little history um, around Ethiopia. I do want to, I guess, admit that I only understood Ethiopia before this conflict in that sort of mystification of how Ethiopia is seen um, uh, like as an independent um, nation um, and the way that Halasi has been talked about because I have Rastas in my family. Um, so I do, so that, that has been something that I think that this history and the context that you've given and the context that I've received from um, members of HLA PALS does help break away at that uh, mystification. Cause I think that, that in itself poses a, a separate problem about the way that folks engage Ethiopia or even the internal issues that's happening in Ethiopia because of sort of that mystification. And then currently I'm reading this book called Child Kingdom that talks about uh, Rastafarians, uh, Tanzania and the Pan-African um, struggle in the age of decolonization. And they pretty much talk about um, that regardless of how 
folks seen or were projected to have seen uh, Selassie um, in Ethiopia, that it is, it, it's still significant to the point where it allowed for people to actually engage Africa in a way that they weren't before um, and having conversations about decolonization and um, even uh, returning back to Africa. So I do um, appreciate the context because I think that that makes me have a fuller grasp of the role that Ethiopia pay plays um, on the stage of Pan-Africanism. Thank you, Ricky. Eric, um, Onyesamu, Salifu, anything? I don't have anything to add, but I was wondering if we could open up to some of the Horn of Africa Pals comments we have in the chat. Oh, that would be great. Why don't we do that? I think, um, correct me if I'm off base, but I think if you want to speak, you just hold down your microphone and then you can just come right in and and participate. Yeah, you tap your mic and then we will it'll raise your hand and then we'll unmute you. Go ahead, Fillmore. And welcome. Now we hear you. Is everyone able to hear me? Yes. Yes. Okay. Yeah. <clears throat> yeah, I really appreciate the opportunity uh, to speak and uh, actually having this presentation and uh, the focus of uh, the Horn of Africa. Uh, very crucial information. Um, I actually did listen to your, um, I think it was uploaded on YouTube. I had a chance to re uh, review um, the presentation. Uh, <clears throat> just want to say that I really appreciate you recognizing, you know, the Derg. Um, you know, some people really project this idea that they were uh, Marxist uh, and, you know, really appreciate you highlighting the Israel connection. <clears throat> In the beginning, I mean, you know, Israel was really present to, from the beginning, from Hala Selassie to the Derg, uh, even though the Derg overthrew the Hala Selassie regime, they were still active from the 73 to the 80s. Uh, the 80s was more clear into the present, but the, they were still giving weapons to the Derg. Uh, in addition to that, uh, Mengistu Haile Mariam, he was trained by uh, the West. He was trained actually here, uh, I think it was Kansas or Nebraska. So a lot of people really don't really understand who Mengistu is and his co-optation of the Marxist, uh, you know, phrases and having Lenin statues, but he killed a lot of Marxist Ethiopians, uh, neutralized the Ethiopian revolution from its inception of, uh, you know, recognizing the national question inside Ethiopia, uh, pretty much reshaping Ethiopia, decolonizing Ethiopia. Uh, <clears throat> so I really appreciate you highlighting that the fact that Derg is not really socialist, I commend you. And I think this is an important step for, uh, you know, Pan-African, uh, uh, you know, circles to understand the Derg. Uh, on the question of Hala Selassie, I think there was, there was things that were mentioned here uh, you know, with respect to the comrades here, I mean, we're all, we're not liberals here. We don't take things super personal. Um, I think those things that were said here, uh, I mean, it requires more understanding because, uh, first of all, Ethiopia must be understood that the term Ethiopia and the Bible or the reference in ancient geo 
you know, ancient geo, uh, geography or anything is not related to what we see here in modern uh, Horn of Africa. Um, the, the term itself has been politicized and has been co-opted by the Abyssinians uh, of the North. The Abyssinians are the Northern class, or you you say they're part of the Amharu and Tigray region. Um, the Abyssinian kingdom existed to the, uh, you know, creation of Ethiopia. Ethiopia, just like Eritrea, are, uh, you know, a creation of uh, uh, colonialism. Uh, before that, there was many kingdom uh, entities, different political independent uh, entities in the Horn of Africa, inside Eritrea, uh, inside Ethiopia. Um, so a lot of uh, people coming into the Horn of Africa spaces, um, you know, it's, it's not like their fault. It's just, it's heavily propagandized uh, what Ethiopia is and its association, uh, you know, first country that's never independent, uh, first Christian African country, uh, first everything. It's just like all this is just like co-opted history of the Horn of Africa when all this history is actually shared among all the independent political entities. So th the problem becomes an issue when you say that Ethiopia, uh, you know, has a claim to the Aksum Empire when, you know, uh, Aksum Empire was more focused in the north. There was no such thing as Ethiopia during during the Aksum Empire. So uh, I think clearing up that history, in addition to that, people have to understand Ethiopia is a multinational uh, state. It's, it's not just in the image of the Abyssinian that you, you know, people have projected idea of. Um, in addition to that, the uh, Ethiopian Marxist, the Ethiopian revolution during the 60s and 70s really did a, a good job in recognizing the national question, like the Russia, uh, the idea of Lenin and Stalin giving the idea of uh, the national question, recognizing oppressed nationalities, whether if they want autonomy or if they want uh, self-determination. So Ethiopian Marxist, the Ethiopian revolutionaries did a good job in trying to, uh, you know, focus on this contradiction to heal this issue decolonize Ethiopia, uh, recognize that, that Ethiopia is actually a prison house of different nations and nationalities. So uh, once again, thank you very much. Uh. Thank you very much. Is there anyone else that is interested in, in um, contributing as well? That was very good, thank you. Yes, thank you. Um, and again, you can uh, tap your mic and then it will uh, raise your hand and then we can unmute you. Uh, I see Yolion had uh, her hand raised. I just gave you uh, access so you should be able to tap the mic. Okay. Can you all hear me? Yeah. 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 Oh, okay, cool. Hi everyone. Um, Philmon had already kind of spoke a little bit on this, um, but one, I also want to say I do appreciate like people kind of focusing on understanding um, Ethiopia, but I think it also opens up a broader um, conversation on folks' understanding of the Horn in general, as opposed to maybe other um, regions within the continent. Uh, I just have found lately that it is themed to become like a lot more complex than some areas. And I think that was intentional um, by uh, colonizers to um, make a lot of our histories so entangled and intertwined to the point where it's really difficult for people to parse through 
who's what and 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 kind of participate in that binary of like what's what who's like kind of the bad guy who's the good guy in that sense um and i think what's really interesting about ethiopia is that when speaking to a lot of oppressed nationalities or even eritreans or even somal so somalis um who have been affected by um ethiopia and, and in terms of like them illegally occupying their land or anything like that um uh when folks ask us, like, say to us that um, uh, Ethiopia is the only independent nation that has been able to withstand all these attempts at colonization, etc., it's like really interesting as I family because they're always like, that never made sense to us. Like, how can one, only one area of the continent somehow withstand all of, the, all of these colonizers while the rest of the continent suffers? And then in that case, if that were to happen, where was Ethiopia in all the other anti-colonial struggles? Where were they this entire time? And where and how were they? Um, what what was their impact on quote unquote anti-colonial struggles that happened? When you when people ask those questions, it's difficult to answer them using that the Abyssinian like line of under of of, of analysis because it just doesn't pan out. I mean, we have Haile Selassie and we have the understanding of the Israel connection and how at the end of the day, it was just a bunch of feudal lords that were fighting to maintain um, control and domination over the state and over the region. So I always like to bring up those questions because even from some, even from anyone who just may have a, a, a baseline class analysis, that could be some questions to raise in terms of Ethiopia's presence in other anti-colonial struggles as well, which is very, uh, is, is, is hard to find. So, but yeah, I appreciate y'all bringing up this in conversation. Thank you, thank you very much. Um, and I, I really appreciate you bringing up this question of colonization. I'd like to ask you, um, either one of you if, you, if you desire, if you could say more about that, because that is, I've always felt like that's one of the most misunderstood things in Africa, this this concept that Ethiopia was has never been colonized. Yeah, um, <clears throat> that's, that's I really recommend everyone read the Invention of Ethiopia. It's a book that within HOA pals we really had a good uh, discussion and push um, as a starting base. But in addition to that, the uh, Ottomans and different intellectuals and scholars um, who have written about this uh, topic. Uh, we wanted to pretty much bring light to this issue because uh, Ethiopia, like I mentioned, pe people's imagination starts from 3,000 years, and that's what people have been, you know, told from the Rastafari era, the uh, Marvis Garvey era, and then different forms of Black nationalism from the 1960s, 70s, and 80s. So that still even reverberating to this day right now. Um, so yeah, I mean, the issue of uh, conversation, I mean. Uh, it starts from 1890. Before the 1890, there was no such thing as Eritrea, Ethiopia. Uh, these are names that we see on the map. Uh, after 1890, uh, you know, we saw the first, um, you know, presence or entrance of the Italians coming into uh, the Red Sea and occupying Masawa and then penetrating inside Eritrea. Uh, who sent the Italians? The Italians were secondary powers. Uh, the British sent the Italians as a counter check to the French moving inside Djibouti and French Somaliland, or you want to call it French Somaliland at the time. So 
the two main competition between the British and the French led to these issue of the Battle of Ottawa, which was, uh, you know, the British supporting the Italians. And then on the other side, you have the French supporting the Menelik, the Abyssinian side. So you have this issue of uh, two competing power creating a proxy war, uh, you know, that led to the Battle of Ottawa. But after the Battle of Ottawa, they said, they said oh, we don't really need to do this. Uh, there's no need for us to be at war. So it, they settled on this idea of Ethiopia. And then this is what led to the creation of Ethiopia. Then it was known, still known as Abyssinia. That's why you see uh, Marcus Garvey still reference it as Abyssinia. Uh, the name Ethiopia changed in 1930 in the uh, Ethiopian constitution by Hala Selassie. Uh, this was due to the Italian advisors and the British advisors told him you need to uh, you know, gave him the idea of changing that name. So, uh, people have to understand it. The, you know, Abyssinia, that was a name until the 1930s officially. You can look this up, you can research it. There's different ar archives and uh, to talk about. But yeah, so this idea that Ethiopia was uh, was never colonized for 3,000 years doesn't make sense because if they're to say this, then uh, when Italian, you know, colonized Eritrea, the modern state known as Eritrea, then Ethiopia had to be colonized. You can't say that Eritrea was included, uh, you know, as part of the Eritrea uh, of Ethiopia, and then say that you never were colonized. That Eritrea, then technically Ethiopia, this thing called Ethiopia, was colonized. Uh, in addition to that, you have the Somali region and the Ogaden region. Uh, before uh, Menelik, you know, acquired, consolidated his power and went to the south, the Somali Ogaden region was not part of it. The British gave it to the Hala Selassie. Uh, in the 1930s and 1940s and 1950s. So people really should uh, look into the Ogaden issue. What was there, uh, you know, what is the circumstance of how was the Somali region, the Western uh, Somali region was acquired by Hasselase. So in addition to that, people really need to understand how uh, the Oromo region, the largest uh, nationalities in Ethiopia were con conquered and colonized, subjugated by the Melek. Uh, Melek came from the North uh, subjugated and conquered and colonized Oromia, and you know, uh, then that's what you what led to the creation of Ethiopia. But yeah, I mean, the the issue of colonization really have to be connected to the British and the French and their colonial adventures in the Horn of Africa. So we blame the French and the uh, uh, the British. That we must be make, make let's make that clear. We're the Abyssinians are just proxy actors. They're just local feudal reactionary entities. They're not. They're not to be taken seriously. The only they became a threat when they had they were given weapons by the British and the French. So let's make that clear. We're anti-imperialists. We focus on the source of this power base called the Abyssinians. It comes from the Europeans and it's still coming from the West right now. Uh, as, you, as you see, the West supported the TPLF, and right now you see the uh, uh, Washington does support Abbey in some extent. So we're seeing this endless cycle of the Abyssinians from the north uh, fighting each other to uh, control the center. Uh, I think the only thing before I stop talking is the, you mentioned the DPLF, uh, they're, they're not actually fighting for uh, self-determination referendum. They're, the ruling class, the top ruling class are fighting for the control of the center, uh, just like the Abyssinians uh, from the Hamaharu region, the Abyssinians from Tigray uh, are fighting to control the center. Uh, people have to really research who who is the king before Menelik, uh, and he, that name was Johannes. Johannes was a king before Menelik. Uh, he was from the Tigray region, and he was Abyssinians, and he was still continuing this idea of a Solomonic reign, and he is chosen and 
uh, and so on. So after the death or the capture or the capitulation of Johannes, you had the rise of uh, uh, Menlik. But before that, you really have to understand that Johannes was supported by the British. This is really clear documented. They gave him weapons. Uh, and that's what led to his rise in colonizing, or not colonizing, occupying modern day Eritrea uh, from the 1870 to late 1880s. So the British really are behind all these Abyssinians uh, and their efforts to either go uh, up north to cause genocide and colonize, subjugate different uh, African nationalities. Uh, in addition to that, uh, you had the different roles of Menelik going to the south to colonize and subjugate other nationalities, such as the Oromos, the Sadamai people, and various elements. So you, we cannot uh, hold on to this idea of this 3,000-year-old thing, and this is something that's manufactured and organized by the West. And, and another, another angle before I stop talking is that uh, Ethiopia really is an ideological um, the 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 concept of Ethiopia, it's feudal, uh, it's romanticizing feudal slave owning Abyssinian rule, uh, rule, right? And the Salamic bloodline, which is not black, non African. This is the mythology, the key mythology of the Abyssinian fundamentalism. It is not for African. It is not for centering Africanness. It is not for indigenizing African identity. It is for you know centering its identity to. Jerusalem, King Solomon. This is not related to Africanness. This has nothing to do with scientific or revolutionary pan-Africanism. So from that point of view, as people who are revolutionary, why would you align yourself with monarchs? Why would you align yourself with backward feudal monarchs when we should be forward-looking? So the answer lies in scientific socialism. Uh, the answer lies in African, you know, revolutionary uh, uh, path. So the, the solution for Ethiopia moving forward beyond Ethiopia, uh, beyond TPLF or Abbey is for a transportation, uh, transforming Ethiopia and reimagining it and recognizing the national question and recognizing the grievances of the oppressed nationalities and recognizing the role of imperialism and, and so on. So I'll stop talking. No, thank you. Thank you very much, both of you. And, and feel free to jump back in as you as you wish. Um, but we also just want to, you know, anyone else that wants to speak, um, ask a question of our guests or uh, make a comment, you can do that through pressing your microphone as well. But yeah, great discussion. Thank you. very. Thank you again for being here. Um, I actually have a question uh, for Yulian, but also someone you can answer this as well. So I appreciate both of you being here and um, and sort of lending your expertise um, and sort of your experience uh, to this conversation. <clears throat> One of the things for me is as I'm engaging um, horn politics and starting to study and learn more myself, something that I'm I'm trying to to be better at is um is like sort of developing this attitude that like oh it's so confusing. Um, because I feel like that plays a lot into the way that we like approach things. So I'm just trying to look at it as like layered and complex, but I'm sure for a lot of people as they continue to engage this, um, sometimes it, it can, it can, it can be very layered. Um, and so I was just wondering if you guys had any sort of advice for people who want to continue to engage 
with horn politics, particularly looking at um, Eritrea and Ethiopia as they play out in the news contemporarily. Um, what are some sort of like do's and maybe don'ts that you guys could think of as it relates to how we engage um, with Ethiopia and, and Eritrea in the news um, and, in, and in current events for people who want to maintain a principled Pan-Africanist sort of position? Yeah, I think that's like a really great question. And that's something that um, is so, it's such a common like issue that a lot of us are facing. It is definitely like a compounded um, area, I guess, if that makes sense. Like it is definitely layered due to a lot of different reasons, like language barriers um, in terms of access to information because a lot of, it isn't in the you know traditional languages as opposed to in English. I know that that's one of the issues. That's an issue. I also think like a lot of the history is like oral, and so I think the transfer of knowledge in that sense is like another issue that I think we're facing. And um, outside of that, in terms of like how I think about interacting with um, current news versus like just applying our anti Imperialist, like anti-capitalist analysis to all the all, anything that we interact with. Um, I, I find it interesting because a lot of people tend to have like a general like folks that have that are, attempt to maintain that principled analysis wherever they wherever they they whatever they read. Um, when I'm in conversation about Eritrea, um, a lot of people are like, I don't really know what's going on, but I definitely understand that like the way that the mainstream media is reporting this just doesn't even like it doesn't make sense it it reeks of like the neoliberal like propaganda and the same like human rights spiel and like is very much anti air trans state um and so i think it's it's good to know that that's at least the baseline of like what a lot of people understand I think it all goes back to understanding the, knowing the history of it more, which is why going back to what Philmon said about engaging with more historical texts of of the not only Ethiopia, Eritrea, but like the whole horn. And that's something that PALS has been attempting to like, I would say attempting to bridge the gap is bringing in some of that historical information so that you can then pair it with what we see going on contemporarily because what i find especially in the in the context of the conflict within ethiopia is that folks's understanding of it dates back to 1991. like a lot of people are reporting things of like here is you know here's a better understanding of what's going on in ethiopia let's go all the way back to 1991 when um, uh, EPRDF was formed or whatever, and talks about Melisanawi and TPLF. And I would say that's a very misguided way to go about talking, talking about that as if that erases the years and years and decades of history of colonial history of Ethiopia. And which is why it was so important for Philmon to mention, we need to go all the way back to the late 1800s to the early 1900s to understand some of the agreements that were made from the year within the Europeans in order to like make Ethiopia what it is today. I don't want to like continue repeating what someone said, but I, I hope that kind of brings in more context. It's like pairing in historical information 
with what we see on the news today um, and really always questioning, like, especially if we know the knowledge that they are give the information they are giving you is like very recent. Cause that to me is always a red flag, especially when folks talk about Eritrea, when a lot of news today speaks to maybe the 2000, like early 2000s or late 1990s. And I'm like, that's, that's a red flag because that's showing that they are not including full context of the Eritrean struggle of EPLF, ELF, like all of that if that makes sense. So I hope that that kind of helped. I feel like this is also something across the board in terms of like tools and analysis in general as well. Thank you. Anyone want to contribute? We have about 15 minutes left, so the floor is open. Yes. Oh, yeah, just to add on, which, uh, uh, I think Salome wanted to speak. Uh, but yeah, I mean, uh, with HOA PALS, we try to really highlight the history and, uh, you know, the books that we pretty much were trying to push out and make people uh, be part of their understanding of the region is uh, the invention of Ethiopia. Uh, in addition to that, we were really focusing on Uganda as well. Uh, and, you know, just in Somalia, we try to overly emphasize Somalia because it's in the background for some reason, it's forgotten. And the hyper focus on Ethiopia is really problem. Uh, in addition to that, the issue of Sudan, Sudan and Somalia are on fire, but the overemphasis on uh, Ethiopia is a problem. And another thing is like left journalism and how they you know, reported this issue uh, before 2018, nobody cared about Eritrea, nobody cared about Somalia, nobody cared about Sudan. But when Ethiopia gets on fire, it's all of a sudden, all everybody's attention is on it. And it's kind of unfair. It's unfair because it also like dismisses the internal struggle of the oppressed nationalities. Uh, you know, there's another issue of, you have to be cautious entering Ethiopia or Eritrea of not, uh, endorsing the different uh, personalities or individual leaders, because that could cause an issue of why are you being with this, why are you aligning with this person? So I think the mistake when coming to Ethiopia is overly becoming too pro-Abby or too pro like uh, with different, uh, different parties. I think that if you just focus on the primary contradiction of imperialism, uh, you're opposed imperialism in Eritrea, opposed imperialism in Ethiopia, you gotta correct. Uh, but if you become too overly uh, one-sided inside Ethiopia, one-sided uh, on Eritrea, one-sided on Somalia, you, you're going to get lost and you're going to um, cause tension with the local people and the diaspora. Or So just be, be, I would recommend being conscious of not overly centering individual leaders. For example, I think Comrade Salome, she can uh, chime in as well, as far as the, uh, uh, you know, I'm pretty sure it, it would be it would be it would not be right for people to focus on Mussolini, uh, you know, giving his role uh, with imperialism, you know. So like we, we try to be sensitive to not overemphasize leaders or because they're reactionary locally. So we would rather emphasize just defending African state from imperialism and let the people on the ground have agency to. Uh, maintain class struggle and maintain some type of uh, political struggle on their own without the support of the State Department or leftists who uh, amplify or try to give uh, support like Abby. And uh, unfortunately, 
the complication with this ISO4K as well. Thank you for adding that context. Um, Daydon is uh, next, so you can go ahead, and then Salome. Make sure to tap the mic, comrade. Uh, we can double back to Daydon. Salome, did you still want to speak? Yeah, I just want to add something really quick to Salifu's question and also to Yolian's point about um, the importance of like analyzing what folks are saying. I think in addition to that, when analyzing anything, whether it's about the horn or about any other region of the world, um, I think it's important to also understand who's doing the talking and who's funding them. Um, and particularly when it comes to the horn, so much of these um, neoliberal and other agents are very much um, funded by human rights projects, right? And so I think assessing both what is said as well as who is saying it is important, especially when a topic is new to somebody, because sometimes it's very difficult to decipher, especially because of the types of languages they're using, et cetera, like they practice to manipulate folks. Um, and so I think it's important to analyze, okay, who are they funded by? Who is this person? Who are their connections, et cetera, to fully get the full picture of what's going on and decipher um, what's meaningful and what's, ac what's actually just um, tactics used by the state. So yeah, that's all I wanted to add. Um, and thanks y'all for holding this space. Thank you. Do we have Comrade Daydon ready or someone else to jump in? Um, is it Mena? You can go ahead and speak. Hello, thank you. Um, I just wanted to ask Yolian a question. Um, you had said that it's important to overlap like what we're looking at in terms of the current news of what's going on in the in the region. Um, to overlap it with historical um, texts and information, but what, I don't wanna use the word safe, but what are some better um, ways to receive current news on what's going on like i guess what are the better resources to be looking at right now Ooh, um i guess depending on what you're like just really wanting information on um i mean i've been kind of keeping up with of course like like a gender report um the communist for sure obviously um and i know like by any means necessary on um, radio sputnik is pretty good um and people's dispatch i really like people's dispatch um i'm trying to think uh, of some other voice like voices generally i would say breakthrough news has some cool stuff um I will say in the context of Ethiopia, it's like, 
it's becoming a little ultra like pro Abby, but that's kind of like for a whole other discussion. But I would say generally like the content they have is is um, pretty good. Um, that's what I can think of so far for his examples, but that's kind of some of the places I, I, I look to for current current events. I also just like follow the um, different like embassies and like as well as like um, like in the Eritrean context, I know like sometimes we see a lot of like information come from like their posts um, on like Facebook and stuff in terms of updates with like um, certain meetings that they would have like with the Chinese. So that's kind of like what I look to. I'm curious if Philmon has any other suggestions or Salome, but that's what I can think of off the top of my head. I hope that was helpful. Thank you. Thank you very much. So Africans, we have about six minutes left. Um, so can we use, if there are any closing comments that anyone would like to make about the subject, um, we're talking about the horn, of course, any closing comments? And, you know, then we can, after that, leave a minute or two for announcements. But any closing comments people would like to make? As principal Pan-Africanists and anti-imperialists, we never advocate for sanctions on, on African nations. Yeah, hopefully. Yeah, hopefully. Uh, sorry, this is the last comment. Uh, you know, as Pan-Africanists, hopefully we can like discuss the national question and understanding the various complex issue of the, you know, oppressed nationalities uh, whether it's Ethiopia, Nigeria, South Sudan, or, you know, even Uganda, there's, it's very complicated in how within these nation states, there's an issue of like different nationalities and how they want to, you know, form. So hopefully Pan-African Circle can have a further uh, discussion on this. Yeah, and I think, yeah. you know, bringing that, uh, that question up of oppressed nationalities, I, I, you know, I wish we had more time um, to talk about, you know, Cuba's role in that region in the, the 70s and 80s. And I think, um, you know, a lot of people on the left, um, for good reasons, are always hesitant, and I'm one of them, to, you know, I'm very protective of Cuba. But I think that, um, you know, clearly their involvement there, um, there are a lot of questions that, you know, need to be raised and discussed about that. So I think, you know, maybe that's another event, but I think, you know, you bringing up oppressed nationalities made me think about that because I remember the dominant view coming out of that during that time was coming from the, you know, the classic uh, determinist class analysis that, you know, that was all that mattered. And, you know, the question of the Eritreans, which was, you know, really dominant then was, you know, reactionary to these people. And that was, that was on the left. That was kind of the, the view, except for from the, the small voices coming from our Pan-African movement. So, yeah, I mean, I appreciate that coming up because it's it's always been something that that needs to be discussed a lot more. Any other comments? Dee, you can uh, go ahead. 
Um, thank you so much for holding this space. I just wanted to chime in very quickly about oppressed nationalities and imperialism. Uh, the presence of so many oppressed nationalities in fabricated states due to colonialism, like Uganda or South Sudan, uh, that is a very, that's an element that the imperialists use day in, day out, and us having to understand uh, the differences and how imperialism has used them, because Uganda is in it of itself is also a fabricated state that it is believed that in the area it was just a protectorate and not fully colonized. But when you look at the receipts, it was fully colonized. So it's the question of uh, what were actually the nationalities that existed, that uh, places that existed as nations versus what were the places that existed as ethnic groups. So it's a very important topic to, to really dissect and think about and talk about as Pan-Africanists, but also it's important in the back of our heads to remember always that that is one of the most essential elements and how these, especially the British, managed to turn people against each other, use it, they use it as an opportunity at every point in time to spread confusion. But again, thank you. Thank you for everyone who's participated and thank you. Thank you for that very critical point. Thank you, everyone. I mean, and on that that very good note, I mean, we have about a minute or so left. Um, do we have announcements we wanna make comrades, letting people know of upcoming events? Yeah, well, it's Hood Communist Thursday, so you know there's uh, new articles on the blog in case you haven't checked it out. And um, also there's Hood Communist Radio. If you have not heard uh, the last episode or you were not able to attend the last PE on Limits of Living Experience, you can um, listen to that on SoundCloud or Spotify. And unless there's anything else, I believe that's it. Also wanted to shout out that this week, Black Agenda Report did a series of articles reflecting on Biden's first term and grading him. And our comrades, Erica and Sally Blue, have a really great piece that folks should check out. So read her communist and read Black Agenda Report. Oh, and I would love to thank our comrades, um, HOA pals, for coming through and offering their perspective and great analysis. Like, so dope. Yeah, thank you very much, you all. Appreciate you. Thanks for having us. Thanks for inviting mm -hmm. us. So, All right, that's so, it. Go ahead. I'm sorry. Now I was just saying it's over. Yeah. <laughs> yes. So thank you all for coming. Um, let people know. Try to bring someone with you next two weeks. We have our next session. We'll announce a a topic here coming up pretty soon. And um, definitely let people know about the articles on Hood Communist Support Independent Revolutionary Pan-African Work. It is our salvation to do so. We love and appreciate everybody and everybody have a great rest of your evening. Forward ever, backwards never. Peace y'all, that's a wrap for this week, but be sure to go check out the blog, hoodcommunist.org. We always got new articles on there every Thursday, good shit, revolutionary shit, go read that, take that in. 
Also, be sure to follow us on Instagram at Hood Communist. We got kicked off Twitter for telling the truth, but we still kicking, talking our shit on Instagram. So go follow us and stay up to date with what we got going on. And lastly, if you enjoy what you heard today, if you enjoy what you see on the blog, be sure to share this with your people. Be sure to share it with somebody who you think might appreciate it. You know what I'm saying? Everything we do, we do it because we believe in the potential to transform society and we believe in revolution. So like I said, share that. And lastly, we always encourage our people to join organizations that are fighting for justice, that are fighting for liberation. If we could solve the problems in our society as individuals, we would have did that a long time ago. So yeah, take care of yourselves, man, and we'll see y'all next time. Peace.